Welcome to the Kind Faith Bible Podcast. Conversations about how we read the Bible for newcomers and nerds alike. Hi, I'm Jeff. I'm Tyler. Welcome to the Kind Faith Bible Podcast. We're excited. We're we're picking up where we left off last week. We were talking about some really difficult passages and we're going to do another one this week. It has to do with a, a hot topic, which is slavery in the Bible. Yeah. So if you want to hear about slavery in the Bible, stay tuned. And before we dive in, I want to say, make sure you like this. Make sure you give us comments. We really want your comments. Um, and we, we'd appreciate it, too, if you subscribe to the channel. Uh, it helps us greatly. So we, we would love it. So welcome to the Kind Faith Bible Podcast. Excited to be here. Let's go. Okay. So, yeah, slavery in the Bible um, and talking about what do we do that we've been in a, a string of conversations about some of these really hard to read passages. Yeah. And uh, and a lot of them, honestly, they're passages that we would a lot of times rather skip. And for some people that kind of you need to do that for a while, maybe, you know, and and yet at some point, you know, if we're a Christian, if we're following Jesus, we have this whole Bible. A question might come to mind like, well. What do I do with all those passages I never read? And this mm-hmm. is definitely one of those. Um, so I, I brought a, just a quote that I wanted to start because I think, so this guy, Howard Thurman, okay. uh, wrote Jesus and the Disinherited. And he was one of the leading voices that influenced the civil rights movement. Um, and he kind of puts it in a way from his own story that I think highlights some of our anxiety around the passages that deal with slavery in yeah. the Bible um, better than I could ever do. Okay, uh, so, bring it. So here is um, Howard Thurman talking about uh, his childhood with his grandmother. So his grandmother was born a slave and lived until the Civil War on a plantation near Madison, Florida. Uh, and uh, his, uh, as, a, as a youth, his job was to read to her. She never learned to read or write. And so he's, he writes how two to three times a week he read the Bible aloud to her. Um, but there was uh, particular places that she never allowed him to read, primarily the letters of Paul. Mm. So she, she would have him read the Psalms or the Gospels, uh, never the epistles of Paul. Mm. Uh, and he, he writes, except every once in a while, the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. That's the one about love, right? So that was the one part every once in a while she would allow him to read. Uh, and then he, he says, when he was... Older, he finally got up the courage to ask her why, and this is what's her answer. During the days of slavery, the master's minister would occasionally hold services for the slaves. Old man McGee was so mean that he would not let a Negro minister preach to his slaves. Always the white minister used as his text something from Paul. At least three or four times a year, he used as a text, Slaves, be obedient to them that are your masters, as unto Christ. Then he would go on to show how it was God's will that we were slaves and how if we were good and happy slaves, God would bless us. I promised my maker that if I ever learned to read and if freedom ever came, I would never read that part of the Bible. Hmm. So that, uh, I mean, totally understandable in a lot of ways, but that kind of puts the finger on the issue better than right I Right on read. the issue. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for us, it's almost, it's, we find it culturally offensive yeah. to talk about slavery, but that is even more profound. That is someone in slavery hearing this passage. Yeah. And, and I do want to say, as I feel as a pastor, someone who disciples people and walks alongside people, um, my initial response, if I was actually a friend of his grandmother, 
walking with her um, or someone in, in our modern age who has been spiritually abused by the Bible, my first answer it would never be, well, you just need to suck it up and start reading because the whole Bible is God's word. Obviously, that would be terrible, tone deaf, all, all wrong. If someone has yeah. actually been abused by scripture, there might it might be a perfectly legitimate thing for them to, to stay away from that part of scripture for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, all the while, the, the hope is we're leading you back to Jesus. You're, you're following him. You're, you're being healed by him. You're coming into a relationship with him. Eventually, I, I think you, you can come to a place where you say, I, I want to know how to read those parts of the Bible that I shunned for a while. But yeah, that, like, that totally makes sense on one level. On the other level, I think there is a way to redeem even some of these hard parts of Scripture and say, what, what can we do with them? So, so can I take us on a, on a journey? Yeah. <laughs> that we didn't intend to go on, but, but you, you stepped foot on that passage. So you said abused by the Bible. Yeah. How is that possible? This is God's mm-hmm. living word. Mm-hmm. It is a double-edged sword. It's breathed out by God. Every word is inspired by God. So how is it possible to be abused by it? You know I'm asking a loaded question. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think of uh, trying to think of modern-day examples. Um, there, There is a sense, you know, in America, that's one of our, that's a, that's a hard part of our history that we can't ignore. Um, and Howard Thurman's grandmother was directly abused by people misquoting scripture, as we'll mm-hmm. see, uh, to say, so as a, as a white slave owner, to quote the one line in Paul that says, slaves obey your masters, as a way to, to say, stay subjugated and be happy in, in the state that I'm treating you is total abuse. Yeah. The abuse and, and as you t- as I hear you talking, I think maybe maybe the definition and push back on this is yeah. whenever I use scripture in a way that serves my purpose more than God's purpose, mm-hmm. I'm engaging in scriptural abuse. Whenever I use scripture in a way that serves my purpose more than God's purpose, I am engaging in in spiritual abuse. Yeah. I think of the the great oft misquoted passage, right? Where two or three are gathered in my presence in Matthew 18. And and that that there's a bunch of issues around that um, for me. Like one is that's not about Christian worship. That's not about uh, the warm presence of Jesus. That comes in the context of rebuke and actually um, conflict. But besides that, I've heard that used as a way to say, you need to be aware of God's presence because we're gathered here in Jesus' name. And if you're not feeling God's presence, then there's something wrong with you. Yeah. And that's super subtle. Yeah. One, I just pulled this up. It makes me think of Jesus' words in Mark 9. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Mm -hmm. And um, just as an image there, Jesus comes down much harder on the the so-called religious leaders who, if, if my use of the Bible is oppressing someone, um, subjugating them, causing them to sin, causing them to doubt God in some way. Mm-hmm. It's the, the judgment lands more on me as the one teaching. So to, to, to go back to 
Howard's grandmother, the judgment is much heavier on those white slave owners, not on her. God's not going to, she's not going to stand before God and he's going to say, well, why didn't you read all the Bible? Mm-hmm. Right? Actually, the judgment's going to land on the white slave owners who were totally abusing the Bible. Yeah. Today, uh, around, uh, still around race and um, inequality, maybe around uh, men and women, gender issues, where the Bible's been used to to kind of subjugate women in a, in a man's world. There's, there's, mm-hmm. Those are two of the, the most prevalent areas that I'm thinking about just off the top of my head that continue to be an issue where people have used the Bible in one way that seems to um, push people away from God. Yeah. Politics it, it, is another great example of that. The, on, on both sides of the issue, the way that um, leaders in the faith use the Bible to promote their brand of politics has completely turned people away from faith in general. Yeah, well, you preached on it not this last weekend, the weekend before, mm. where where I must obey God and not man. Yeah, and and that gets used a lot, and and it 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 aligns more often than we want to confess to our objectives more than God's. Yeah, and so when I start to declare, well, I'm obeying God and not man. And it's actually serving my purpose to to quote it. Now all of a sudden I'm using scripture as uh, a tool for abuse, either of myself or the people I'm demanding to listen to it. And that that's at the heart of a lot of the misunderstanding around the writings in scripture, in particular the, this passage around slavery. So, yeah. get what's the what's the passage that we're talking about? So we're going to look primarily at Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 5. Mm-hmm. Um, and Can I just read that? Yeah, so read 5 through 9. All right, Ephesians 5, I mean, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Bond servants or slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters do the same. And stop your threatening, knowing that he is both knowing that he is both their master and yours is in heaven. I don't think I read that right. Masters do the same and stop your threatening, knowing that he is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Okay. So there's a couple um, high level things we need to talk about. That word you uh, you were reading from the ESV right now. Yes, I which was. Which is typically a good, It's it's a very... They're trying to be more true to the word-by-word definition. Mm-hmm. I don't like how they uh, decided to translate the word bondservant. We get, let's talk about that. <laughs> um, but we, d- we need to talk about slaves, slavery in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament, and then try to get into the heart of what's going on in this passage. Yeah. But, um, so so bondservants, the word here in Greek is the word doulos. And, and the, and, uh, Not to be confused with doula. No. Yes, the doulos. <laughs> actually, I went back. The, the ESV has a preface to the translation, and they actually have a whole section on their translation of the word slave. Wow. In the preface of the ESV. Um, so in the Old Testament, it's the word eved, 
in the New Testament, it's doulos. Mm-hmm. And for both of those languages, Hebrew or Greek, the, the easiest translation is simply slave. And a lot of times it comes out simply slave. They actually have a whole paragraph about, uh, it's really more of our modern English uncomfortable uncomfortability with that word. Uh, because of America's history. Which is why they picked yeah. Bonser. And so Paul, mm-hmm. Paul actually starts several mm-hmm. of his letters kind of scandalously, Paul, a slave of Christ. Mm-hmm. No one would advertise that they were a slave. He turns this kind of word that you would, if you were a slave, you would hide it at all costs. And he, he makes it into this honorary title, I'm a slave of mm-hmm. Christ, a doulos. But some translations will say servant. So yep. It's so the, one of those words. In the New Testament, this, this happens where a word that used to be of scandal becomes an honorary title. Yeah. And slave is one of those. But it never quite made the full turn. Right. Um, it, it never quite, quite made it like apostle. Apostle made the full turn. An apostle was just a, a message runner. Yeah. Um, it's the kind of lowest of low, the kid with the soldiers who would run between the front lines and the general to give him information. And all of a sudden it became this, this honorary title and slave never quite made it that way. Right. Yeah. And you have, um, so three main ways those, the Hebrew and Greek word are often translated throughout the Bible are either slave Mm -hmm. or servant or this one bond servant, which I find the least helpful because we don't use that word at all today. So what exactly is a bond servant? Well, I use right. the word bond all the time. Yeah. So, James Bond. Yeah, we just need to not. So <laughs> I find, I think it's most helpful to just say slave every time. Yeah. And it, it does feel scandalous at, at certain contexts. This one um, is more clearly slave, but you have passages like Paul saying, Paul, a slave of Christ, feels like it's a little more jarring than if you read the opening of his letter, Paul, a servant of Jesus, you know, so that, um, but it's slave and it would have, it would have had a bit of that shock value, I think in the ancient world that we should keep it. Yeah. And, and the, the, the tension that's created around the image is intentional within the text. And the reason, the reason we can say that is look, look at what happens next in verse five bond servants obey your earthly masters with fear and and trembling as you would Christ. Wait a second. I thought Jesus loved me. I thought now I'm brothers with Jesus. I thought God was my heavenly father. What is this fear and trembling? Mm-hmm. The, our whole language around God has been, he, he's got a perfect plan for you and everything's wonderful for you. And so there's a, there's a set up tension that's intended in this text both with the use of bondservant and the fear and trembling when it comes to obedience to Christ, which I find really fascinating. Yeah. So um, so let's take a bigger view of what is slavery in the Bible and why like a little bit of that would be helpful too. But um, yeah, as we get into uh, all that. So we, uh, just to name it, and we've already named it by reading from Howard Thurman, but uh, in the West, we have uh, a natural aversion to this whole topic because of our history. And it's important for us to, to realize that and to remember it. Um, the, the race-based chattel slavery that was in effect in our own history yeah. is always going to be in the background. It, w- it, was, it was colonial-based. Yeah. Uh, the slavery that all of us are familiar with is colonial conquering type slavery yeah and that that is what what's 
what's um, we all have grown up with and is is so offensive. Whereas the economic structure into which this is being spoken to was very. Um, uh, it, so many people are living in a subsistence based environment. Yeah. So I only eat if my crops produce. I only have money if my crops produce more than I need to eat. And on a in any given year, I might go into debt. I might find myself in a place where I can't handle that, and I need to attach myself to somebody with greater resources. Mm-hmm. And that was the nature of slavery primarily within Israel itself. There still was the slavery of the conquering nation. We see that all in the Old Testament. But God's consistent promise in that context was, I shall set you free. Yeah. I will I will return you to the promised land. God was it, it it's pretty clear all the way through the Old Testament that God is against that kind of colonial slavery that was created. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a good distinction. So you have I would say the, the closest parallel to what happened in America's history in the Bible is the book of Exodus, where you have an actual race-based slavery yep. enacted. It's, it's Pharaoh of Egypt fearing the Israelites who are starting to multiply in his mm-hmm. land, and he subjugates them, puts taskmasters mm-hmm. over them, and makes them build his pyramids and all of that. Yeah, and it's and very similar with Babylon. Yeah, And so the slave owners, if they were doing Bible right according to Old Testament... Southern slave owners were more Babylonian oppressors. Yes. So Babylon in Egypt in the Old Testament is a much better parallel than anything we find in the New Testament. So that's, mm-hmm. that's number one. And God consistently says, I am the God who hears the cry of the slaves. Yep. And he clearly condemns that, that what, what happened there. And he sets his people free, yep. all of that. Um, maybe like we could, we could fill out. So what was slavery like in Rome then? So Paul is writing this in the first century under Roman occupation. And it wasn't a walk in the park. It wasn't like a nice existence. Um, I already kind of mentioned, but to be a slave um, did come with a, with hardship. It could certainly, it was, um, it was shameful to be a slave. Uh, You wouldn't readily advertise that fact. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, But the other, the other aspect, anyone could become a slave. Mm-hmm. And slaves regularly um, all had a much more power. They could own their own wealth. They could, create, um, they could create income and sometimes buy themselves out of slavery. They could, you know, we, we have stories from the ancient world of slaves turning into rulers and, and vice versa. So it happened through, through conquest still when Rome would conquer uh, a neighboring uh, people often their first step was to be all become slaves, right? And so now that's one way you become a slave. Uh, if you come down on hard times in your crops, you might have to sell yourself into slavery. And so that would be another way. But there was, it was all over the map in terms of how, how did slavery happen? And it, it was absolutely not race-based. Actually, most slaves and, and slave owners would, uh, you, again, you didn't want to advertise that fact. And a lot of times you wouldn't actually be able to tell because the slaves and the the free folk were all dressed the same, doing some of the mm-hmm. same business. Um, you wouldn't be able to just look along the streets of Rome and know right off who's a slave and who's not. So there, there was a, a little more ambiguity than, than when we think of our own history. Um, but again, it, you're still someone's servant. You're still, you're still indebted to someone else um, at the whim of your master. There's, it's not, not a nice existence. 
Um, and yet it, it had nothing to do with race-based slavery of, of America. Yeah. So that... Yeah, and it didn't have to do with colonialism. And in some ways, it was very much, um, if you couldn't, and this is where the shame came in, if you didn't have the resource to support your family, to indenture yourself to someone so that they could support you and and provide support for your family became um, your way out. And truthfully, there are so many parallels to just working at Google. Where, where you yeah. have you have said, I'm going to sell this part of me to a company so that they can um, provide for me and my family. That Their slavery was complete, but it, it was very similar. It was, it was uh, a work-based self-support because there wasn't enough resource to go around. Yeah. Yeah, it and it it was the the absolute backbone of the whole economy. And so while again, many different levels of slavery, some some slaves in ancient Rome would have been incredibly dehumanized and shamed. Uh others less so, you know. But um it was the backbone of the economy. And so the the question we we want to come at it from 21st century eyes. Again, this this flows from some of our previous conversations. We wish Paul, like, Paul, why didn't you just write, hey, slavery is wrong. There, there's an element of dehumanization no matter how you, how you spin it. You should just stop slavery. Why mm-hmm. didn't he just do that? And yet he says, slaves, obey your masters uh, and treat them as if you were obeying Christ. Like, what the heck, Paul? Why did you do that? And this is one of those passages why, why people don't like reading Paul. Yeah. You know, they, they think he's misogynistic and uh, hurtful toward like the economy and, and race-based uh, injustice and all that stuff. Like we, we can pull out a bunch of things that in our 21st century day is a big hot topic. And yet, so what's going on? Here? Yeah. And, and in it, to dig a bit deeper, there's an incredible freedom that that's actually bestowed on these slaves in verse five. So it's, it's slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. And all of a sudden he's inviting the slave, the employee of the hostile boss, if, if we want to put it in, in our context to now make a choice and, and to actively choose. I think of um, Viktor Frankl and his his work coming out of um, out of the Nazi death camps and and what he discovered around choice that that the power to choose his attitude his mood um, not his mood but his attitude and his thinking toward his Nazi oppressors actually was more freeing and gave mm-hmm. him more life. Yeah. And, and, and there, that's, that's a part of what's happening here. We've talked about consistently that the Bible, there's, there's divine preference, how God has set things up to work. And then there's biblical precedent when God comes and condescends, I put quotes in the air and meets man where he's at and invites them to take a step up. Yeah. And here he's inviting slaves to take a step up and, uh, as hard as it is to hear when I'm working for a boss that I just want to be done with, 
um, to, to all of a sudden now say, wait a second, I could choose to have a different perspective around this. Yeah. I could choose to have faith that God put me in the position I'm in and I could start to practice obedience, uh, to this, to this person as if to Christ. Now I'm in a faith relationship and choosing obedience. Yeah. So your the dignity there is to the slave. You're no longer some person's property. Your master is Christ. And really, as you do good, you're, you're, you're serving him. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and that's all there in verse five through eight. I think that the most radical moment comes in verse nine. Uh, one, in the ancient world, we, we have lists of people like Aristotle wrote uh, of community ethics. Yep. But he only wrote to the, the, the lower class. He wrote to the children, to the women, and to the slaves, not to the rich landowning man. Right. right? Uh, and so... Yeah. Hilariously. Here, the fact that, that <laughs> Paul actually consistently then turns, turns the page and say, I'm now going to speak to the masters. And the thing he says, this is where I think is the most, it's like this time-released bomb that's going to go off if people actually take the word of God seriously. Because it, the, literally it says, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Right? And so you have to then, to even understand, if I'm, if I'm the master in this scenario, to even understand what Paul is telling me to do, I have to read verse 5 through 8 and apply it to myself. Wait, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Okay, so I'm supposed to obey my earthly master with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Like, it, Who's my earthly master? Right, what's going on here, right? Yeah. And so, so actually, what, what I think is happening is it's this time-released thing that Paul, where he's at and his mission is to plant churches, to connect people to Jesus, and it's not to explode the, the entire economy and change the whole system overnight. Uh, as much as some of us wish he, w- wish he would have done that, that wasn't his primary goal. And yet, the, there is dehumanization going on, and this is not right. And so actually, if, if people started taking this seriously, the, the problem, back to Howard Thurman's grandmother, the problem with that was that they were only quoting the verse toward the slaves and not putting verse 9 themselves. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. The question I would ask is how long would that system actually work? A generation or, or so later, slavery would have to cease to exist. And we actually know this from, from early Christian sources, slaves and masters almost became inconsequential. There was no hierarchy in the church in terms of who's more important, who's more elite, who's more spiritual. Uh, and because they actually did take this seriously. Yeah. Acts so. chapter two is is it right there on full display. And yeah. and and biblically it's so Jesus, right? Yeah. Because women, I mean wives, obey your husbands, right? And then it comes right after, and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's the same kind of flip yeah. where the call to the one in power in that culture is actually more drastic yeah. than the call to the one under the power in that culture. And it begs the question, in our, in our culture, are we in power? Where do we find ourselves in power? Over our children, in our, with our wealth, and we now have this, the, the, the command falls heavier on us yeah. to love and to care and to be gentle and to put on display the character of Christ. That's right. 
Right. And so there's another letter of Paul, uh, Philemon, which is a personal letter. So this is, Ephesians is written as an encyclical. It's supposed to be writ, read by multiple churches. An you know, an encyclical. You write it and encyclic all around. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, that, cycling is in the Bible. Yeah, exactly. Okay, good. So, you, so an you encyclical. Cycle it all around. So multiple yeah. churches read it. It's a, it's a public document is what that word means. That went from um, church to church to church. And... Philemon is a great book to study. It's the shortest book to, to read. And uh, there it's it's a Paul writing to a slave owner about an, an escaped slave, Onesimus, sending Onesimus back to Philemon. And the thing he says there in, in this private document that we have access to is, ve- I think, a very clear call to say, Onesimus, no longer your slave. You're going to receive him back, not as a slave, but as a brother. Right? And so in this private correspondence, on this one-on-one level, Paul's able to say, no more slavery. Stop it. He's your brother. Um, but in this public document, he's not, the, the, the point of this letter was not to raise the call and let's all revolt against the system of slavery. And, and again, it's different than um, America's history. So that, that, that's kind of in the background for me where Paul can write on a personal correspondence. In this one scenario, Onesimus is no longer your slave. But to, to this one, I'm going to kind of put this time-released bomb out there so that as people start to actually apply the word of God, eventually slavery is going to cease to exist. Well, and, and let, me push, let me push on that a little bit with, with uh, Philemon and Onesimus. He, he, he says you, he is now your brother, but he doesn't explicitly say no more slavery, right? He, he that, if, if, if Philemon sent Onesimus home and said, okay, I'm no longer attached to you, Onesimus would have been in a crisis because he didn't have the resource to support himself. And so there's a mutuality of relationship that's allowed to be maintained in their brotherhood in Christ, in the slavery master, in the slave master relationship, except that there's no... um, emotional or power differential yeah it's really a provisional relationship a little bit more like what work is for us today where where we we at some level we would hope there's there's mutuality in this support and giving back and forth and that's what he's calling them to so it is an end of slavery so i'm not saying you're wrong but but i'm definitely saying that that in that culture to dissolve it immediately would have left a whole bunch of people yeah. who were slaves no longer able to support themselves and put them in huge crisis. And so the call is actually this, this equality of submission and service to one another under Christ. Yeah. One, uh, I, I think that this analogy helps me. It, it breaks down. But uh, so one of my favorite scholars is Tom Wright. And he, uh, otherwise known as NT Wright. Wright. Yeah. Tyler likes to call him by. His th- they're really close. They're like this. This is Tyler, though. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't <laughs> are just listening, you missed that whole joke. You'll have to go watch it. Um, but yeah, Tom. So, yeah, I know Tom. So he uses this example. He he says, so let's say we know enough that our automobiles are destroying the environment. We're burning fossil fuels and all the oil and gasoline and, and we're, we're polluting the air. Um, and and the, the, w- the reason it breaks down so quickly is that th- we're talking about a machine rather than a subjugation a, a of person. people. But you could even take it further to say, if you do a little bit of research on this, 
pollution um, more adversely affects the poor of the world than the rich, mm -hmm. right? And so actually there is a person, a people element involved here as well. So the more that we are driving our cars on the streets, the more we are hurting negatively the poorest of the land, right? And so you could go into that deep conversations about how much we're, we're, we're destroying ourselves and especially the poor because we're burning fossil fuels. Uh, and so let's just say a preacher was so fired up about that that they stood on a Sunday in front of their church and said, okay, we all know this. We've been laying this out for a couple months now. We know that driving our cars is killing the world and hurting the poor. So my altar call today is for you to all come forward and leave your keys at the altar and never drive your cars again. Our, 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 um, our parking lot is just going to be filled with rusted cars that are never going to be driven again, right? he would get laughed out of town. Like no one would ever be able to do that because it's such a pervasive thing. Our, our ability to drive is so embedded in our society. Mm -hmm. So rather than, and this would take some, some incredible curiosity and uh, ingenuity to say, well, I know it's still a problem. So what could I do? What could my little mission be to kind of plant a seed that in say a hundred years would actually change the landscape? Right? And so, and I don't have the answer to that, but let's say if, if I was so adamant that driving cars was killing the world and I needed to, do, I, my calling from God was to change that, what could I start to say now that would change it in one or two generations, right? Mm -hmm. And that, that link then gave, gave me a way into this. It's like, I think that's what Paul did here to say, yes, slavery is dehumanizing, but I can't just stop it overnight. It, it would no one would it wouldn't make any sense and the ramifications would be would be maybe the cure could be worse right but than the plague itself what could i do now that kind of like sets that long game in motion so that in 50 100 150 years things start to change and we do see that again in the the history of the church um slaves and masters enjoyed actual family ties brotherhood like mm -hmm. anisimus and philemon much more than the hierarchy it it, it goes, it ebbs and flows. There's certainly seasons like our own American history shows where Christians totally got it wrong. But the, the whole history of the church was that actually, I think Paul's little time release message worked. Yeah. And, and I would, I, I would say Christians totally got it wrong. The Christians in power of the day got it wrong. Yeah. Because the, the worshiping um, folks in the, in the uh, African churches, once they came over, they got it right. Yeah. And the the missionaries who were who were connecting with those Africans who had no context with Jesus but became Christians under slavery, they were getting it right. They understood the freedom that the gospel had, and so we we tend to paint with a broad brush and say everybody got it was the power it was the people in power who abused scripture, and it, it goes back to that. Am I full circling us here? I'm full circling us. It goes back to that scriptural abuse idea. Right. When we use scripture in a way that aligns to our purposes more than God's purposes, it's abuse. And the people in power definitely used scripture to support their own power. But um, that wasn't the case. In Britain, slavery had been abolished a while ago. Yeah. And we held on to it. Right. Yeah. Well, okay, if you're bottom lining all of this, uh, what do you say? Give, give us a, a bullet point for your takeaway. I'd say 
this passage in Ephesians 6 is another instance of God meeting humanity where we're at, right? So it's not, uh, he's not setting forth the ideal, the, the, pre- the preference of God. It's this biblical precedence of God meeting humanity in its brokenness, but pointing forward to a better way of being human. It, even there to say, yes, you're going to treat slaves, do your work as if you were serving Christ, giving them honor and dignity. And then masters, treat your slaves in the same way with, with dignity and honor as if they're your equal, because you know that both of you are actually just slaves of the one master, God in heaven, right? And so there's all of that together. It's, it's pointing them forward to a better ideal, mm-hmm. a better way of being human, even while it's not upending all of society like some of our more radical-minded folks would wish he had done. Yeah. And, and my takeaway, controversial as it is, it is back to the very beginning of this whole thing. Paul described himself as a slave and slavery in its right context is actually a blessed thing because it's only slavery to Jesus and Jesus alone. Yeah. To no other human authority or power, but what a gift to be able to be a bond servant, a slave <laughs> to Jesus. I had to do that at the end just to poke at him (laughs) well thanks for tuning in we love it Um, we love having these conversations and we hope it's a blessing to you to join us Um, we are going to continue these conversations we're hoping that you have a phenomenal Christmas again like us follow us post some comments we would love your comments and we'd really love it if you would share these videos with people that that you think it would be helpful for Um, And we look forward to seeing you next week. See ya. Awesome. Thanks for listening. You can find more about the Kind Faith community at thekindfaith.org.